welcome back to the Real Pro Podcast. I am your host, Mark Salcedo, and alongside me, I have my co-host. Kelsey Loizel. Hi, Kelsey. Hi, Mark. How you doing? I'm all right. You know. You know, that's it? You know. <laughs> awesome. You know. So we want to welcome everybody back to the show. This is your first time. Um, where have you been all of our lives? Uh, get a little bit of stuff out of the way. If you want to follow us on any social media sites like Twitter, we are at... Uh, Appeal Real, Real mm-hmm. with two E's. Uh, Facebook at uh, Real Appeal. Uh, Instagram, Real Appeal. Or if you want to contact us through email, our email is therealappeal at gmail.com. I don't know why I almost forgot that. <laughs> well, and you it, don't email yourself. It's like, you know, know, getting a new phone and not knowing your phone number to give out. I don't even know my phone number. You liar. Uh, I, I, okay, I remember it now. Okay, it's there. <laughs> it's there. Okay. All right. Uh, So if this is your first time, give a little quick rundown. Uh, We're a film podcast. Uh, We do film news. We do reviews. We uh, have a little bit of a fun couple segments. Um, But I'm going to have Kelsey here, my bestest of bestie, best, best friend, uh, explain a little bit uh, what we do or why we're here. I don't know film that well. Mm -hmm. I am relatively new to that whole film world. Mm-hmm. And uh, Mark has been kind enough to try to, you know, be my tour guide. Yes. So, uh, yeah. So I don't really know, like, any of the cult classics or... Are any you classic classics? Nothing classic. Like, I don't know anything. I'm dumb. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> stop that. <laughs> so, um, so we will watch something new that's just released and we'll watch something older um that maybe mark has nostalgia for or knows other people do and we'll see what my opinion is uh as someone who has not seen it or doesn't remember it or you know it's just been a really long time since i've seen it yeah um and so i guess too what i really want to say kind of almost like in defense of myself is Mm -hmm. that i'm not bad at reviewing movies (laughs) no you're not you're you you you've pointed out you you have pointed stuff out to me why we talked about certain films and I've gone, I've never saw it that way. And it's very, it's very intelligent. You, you know how to, um, I won't say transmit, but you know how to speak your opinion in a very intelligent manner. That's like, okay, this person doesn't understand how exactly everything about film, but she gets it. Yeah. Yeah. The best, I guess. Cause. Like, I don't remember, I don't know directors. I don't know actors. I don't, yeah. you know, I generally don't know those things, but um, my opinions, I hope, are valid to anyone who's listening. Um, valid, yeah. But uh, yeah, so um, we're not. When I describe what the podcast is, I just don't want you to think that I'm just completely uneducated and it's just like a ha ha fest. Yeah. Like you have a you have a outsider outsider view of what people might be blinded from within from within the spectrum of film like fandom and shit like that yeah they're not i'm not blinded by love yeah yeah <laughs> like there are people who are like oh i totally forget that movie it's because it's so tapped into my childhood but it's like really a garbage film or something like that one really good example that i'll give you uh, of that for me would be the swan princess <laughs> <laughs> and i've never seen that movie I don't think we'll watch that one i thought we will because it's, it's a alfonso Cuaron film right no that's 
uh, oh, that's a little, little princess. princess. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, that one we are gonna watch. Okay, yeah. Yeah, no, Swan Princess. I thought was amazing when I was a child, and mm-hmm. then I watched it again as an adult. I'm like, this is the worst fucking animation I've ever seen. Yeah, uh, I I am guilty of that. Uh, if you guys want to go back to a past episode, we looked at the Brave Little Toaster <laughs> and like really found some dark ass shit. Yeah. While watching it, it's still a great film, but my God, it's still bad. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's good bad. It's good bad. Um, this guy give this to give you guys a little bit of a tease. Uh, we are going to be reviewing Quentin Tarantino's latest film, his ninth film. It keeps saying all over the fucking ads, um, and that is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, but we will tell you what our geriatric cinematic movie is when we get to that point. But for now, we're going to do the news. All right, so we're popping the news. Um, Mad Max Fury Road is finally getting the sequels that it's deserved. Uh, the 2015 film that's directed by George Miller, uh, starring, what's that dude's name? What's the actor's name? Who huh. played Mad Max? It wasn't Tom Hardy, was yeah, it? Yeah, Tom Hardy. Yeah. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I don't know why I forgot. Oh, Tom Hardy, he was just like, everything was just being blocked. Yeah, well. Yeah. Charlize Theron, I know that. <laughs> <laughs> what well, what came to mind immediately for me was like, oh, Blood Bag's getting a sequel. <laughs> Blood? <laughs> Wait, what? Blood Bag? That's what they called him when he was all strapped up with like the thing because they would use his blood. Remember? Oh, oh, yeah. They oh, called him Blood Bag. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, so uh, Blood Bag, Fury Road is <laughs> getting a sequel. <laughs> um now, for uh, for a little while, uh, George Miller, the guy who's behind the Mad Max films and WB, have kind of been at have kind of been button heads of trying to get this sequel made. Uh, but he came out recently during an interview, and uh, his quote is, uh, "It all started because of the chaos of Warner Brothers and not Kevin uh, Tushar It was all pre. Uh, it all predate that. Uh, he was an antagonist. Blah blah blah. Uh, but from what he's from what he's coming from." He says, everybody was running around fearful, it seems, through three regimes. It's, it was hard to get anyone's attention, so we went to litigation. The chaos was stabilized, and it's become extremely positive, as it does seem to have settled after the AT&T merger. So it looks like we are going to finally get those Mad Max sequels, mm-hmm. which I'm stoked for, because you know the first, three, the first two Mad Maxes are really good. Uh, Mad Max, and then... Uh, oh, Mad Max, and then Road Warrior, and then Mad Max, and Beyond Thunderdome, which was kind of all right. And it was like 20 years or something before we got Fury Road. Right. And I know you saw it. You liked it, correct? Loved it. Loved it. I loved it. Everybody You got loved to see it, it in that noir, oh. that black and white, like, what's it called? Chrome? Yeah, it was like the black and chrome edition. Yeah. Yeah, and they got it. Uh, I went to a screening where it was on 35 millimeter at a theater. Oh my god! I started crying. It was that he so invited me to too late and couldn't get tickets for me because I got sold out. It's your fault. You, you know, couldn't act fast enough. He was so selfish to not be like, "Hey, hey, come to this with me right now while I'm ordering my tickets." That's because I was like, I didn't have the money. I was so like broke. You oh. could have told me, and I would have just got my own ticket. But like, you told me like way later, and you're like, "Oh, I would have asked you to come with me," but now I think it's sold out. Well, that's your fault for believing me. <laughs> uh, you know what that is my fault if it ever happens again you gotta watch it if 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 anybody you know what to be fair they do um 
they, it is out on DVD, by the way, mm-hmm. in that in that one. But they also yeah. do screen it that way every now and then too. I've seen it around. Yeah, you'll see it pop up here and there, but it it's a great feat. Anyway, back to where we're going. I just hit myself <laughs> in the headphones. <laughs> so apparently, George Miller has two stories, both involving Mad Max and involving Furiosa, who was played by Charlize Theron. Um, I'm really stoked about this because that Mad Max Fury Road was not really a Mad Max story. It was a Furiosa story. Mm-hmm. But I still like the character Mad Max, so I, I do want to see him come back. I want to see them together because their chemistry was beautiful. Yeah. I love that action. God, that movie's so great. I'm getting hyped about this already. Um, it, he didn't give a definite date or what the, exactly the story is or when they can start production or anything. But I would imagine since everything's kind of chilling down, we might be getting news about this. Hopefully, as soon as next year. I don't want to say this year, but I'm hoping. Well, I hope so, too. But, you know, it's like uh, everyone's still waiting on what Marvel is going to be doing, I think. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I know, like, I got tired of Marvel. Like, I never thought I would ever get tired of Marvel, but Endgame was such a big tease. Yeah. Till you get to that point. And then anyone who mentioned it, like, <laughs> like in a... Um, like on a, Facebook, like or Facebook or in the news or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's like when someone like orgasms and they just don't want to be touched. <laughs> you know? Go on. <laughs> so Marvel's like, so so what you're saying is, so what you're saying is, uh, <laughs> 10 years of Marvel is was a four, was foreplay. Yes. And then Endgame was the orgasm. It was. <laughs> yeah, you're just like, eh, just get away so from So any me. news story, I'm like, no. I don't want to watch it. I don't want to watch it. I don't want to watch it. Yeah. So now, finally, with all whatever they're doing, I'm like, yeah, but I'm glad to see whatever they're doing next. Mm. But I'm also, what I'm trying to get at is I'll be happy to see other things that are like super great that we love, like Mad Max, because. Oh, yeah. Because it kind of, like, I know we all live for Marvel, but, you Mad know. Max is, uh, Mad Max is a bit different. Yeah, um, it's different, but oh, it's different, but old, but still different in a good way. It's good, different. It's good, different. Yeah, because you know we got Marvel, we got Star Wars. Um, DC's kind of in the wind right now. Um, yeah, I, I, I get, I get your, I totally get your sentiment. Like, I, I like, I'm, I would be, I just remember being so fucking like uh, pumped while watching Fury Road. That hasn't been. I haven't found a movie to compete with that, other than like Endgame. Mm-hmm. But like, like I would watch that. Movie. I think I went to the theaters three times to go watch it. So as soon as more news comes out about this game, of okay, game movie, I'm just like, I'm all. I'm gonna be all. Oh, wait, Doctor Strange? What? No, I'm, give me Mad Max. Yeah, exactly. Totally. So what else happened? So what else happened? Yes. You know. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> No, Kelsey, read the news. Read the news. Read the news. <laughs> All right. Uh, so from slash film.com, mm-hmm. uh, they are talking about how um, Hulu and Disney Plus might work. Speaking of Marvel. <laughs> yeah. You know, Marvel and Star Wars. Yeah. Marvel and Star Wars. Um, so if you don't know how Hulu works, where have you been living? Mm. Um they have a bunch of different services on their streaming service. Like you can get into Hulu and then watch HBO or, uh, or Showtime. Showtime. Stars. Yeah. 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 Um, so they're actually going to do that with Disney plus. So, but the thing with that is you can't 
have a separate subscription and then try to log into it with Hulu. You have to actually log, like sign in through Hulu mm-hmm. for it to work that way. Yeah, so it's it's more of a it's kind of more of a convenience thing, right? Yeah, it's a convenience thing, and um, some of them will give you a discount, mm-hmm. uh, but not all. And they, and we don't know yet what is gonna if there's gonna be a discount for Disney though. It's since you've signed up with Hulu. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of, I think, doubtful, in my opinion. Yeah, because Disney's trying to get all the money. Yeah, like, you know, if they can make you pay for it because you will pay for it, then mm. why would they make a discount for it? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm one of those people who have, uh, I have a Hulu account and I have HBO and I have Showtime and I, I could access Showtime shows through Hulu I can't do it for HBO. I don't know why. Actually, I think I know why. It's because my I have a Spotify account connected to Hulu, which gave me a discount. Well, did you sign up for HBO through Hulu? No, I signed up for yeah. You know what? And I couldn't. And I couldn't do it because something because I'm I'm currently using a Hulu. Please don't listen to this. I'm currently using um, my student account, my student email account, because they give you like a student discount. This is a secret, folks. So use it. <laughs> Um, I have a student email account that gave me a discount for going to school. And I guess it gives me that discount with uh, Hulu and Showtime and Spotify with a very low price. But they're like, no, you can't get HBO because you're already paying like dirt cheap for like these three services. Mm, got it. That's that's my understanding. That's uh, That's how it works on my end. I don't know how. I think everybody's a little bit different. How dare they not give you more for free or Seriously, for cheap? Seriously, I'm a paying customer customer sorry i'm a paying customer yeah (laughs) (laughs) that was a joke i like that (laughs) my friend was like i have a joke wait no no, i don't (laughs) whoops so yeah i mean because what disney Disney pretty much owns hulu so they're just like yeah we're gonna use this pretty much like a hub right yeah and um that's that's it disney's just raking in all the money and disney's just dominating everybody everybody by the balls yeah like netflix is fucking freaking out like we got to get all this stuff um warner media has a a streaming service called hbo max i think it's called hbo max where you can get hbo and showtime and a bunch of other stuff i know like I think Friends might be on that service soon. I don't know if they're freaking out that bad, though, because if they were freaking out, like, why would you allow Hulu to allow people to log in through their service if... Who, Netflix? No, like HBO, like Warner Media. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, yeah. Yeah, why would they allow that if, um, you know, it was a problem for them? Yeah. I think the convenience might be getting them a little extra money. Yeah, I'd imagine that. I mean, uh, maybe Netflix could jump in on that. Probably. But I think Netflix is cool where they're at. I know they're trying, they're going to be raising price. I, they've already raised prices. Like it's like 1299 now for their streaming service. Well, yeah, for the streaming service, I wouldn't be surprised if Netflix prices hiked again. I hope not. Maybe in like two years. Yeah. I bet. I, I hope not. I mean, out of all the streaming services I use the most, Netflix is probably it. Um, the one, the least I use is like Showtime. That's mm-hmm. about it. So I don't know. What about Crackle? <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Sony's Crackle. My God, that shit still exists. 
the brokers that I work with, by the way, were trying to figure out what the hell that was yet, like a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> it was hilarious. What's crackle? Because well, they're so busy. Like uh, they don't have it. They only know like Netflix and HBO and Hulu. And like, so they're so busy. They don't really have a time to really watch because even though like mm. we keep regular hours. Yeah. They work constantly. Like people are constantly emailing them. They're taking calls. Like even when yeah. they're at home, so they don't have time to like be watching all these things. So Crackle, they're like, "What's Crackle? Oh my god, it's like this <laughs> streaming. What? What kind of company is this?" I'm yeah. like, "Jesus Christ, I, I have no comment." If I remember correctly, Sony owns Crackle, and from what I remember researching on, is that it's they're trying to they're trying to revamp it. And oh yeah, have better mm-hmm. stuff on it. But yeah, they said that too. Um, I am sad that ultraviolet went away, by the way, the, as a side note, the, the whole, Oh, I remember that. Mm-hmm. That's old, isn't it? Didn't I go away like a year ago? No, they were going to go away. And I just got an email from them yesterday saying farewell. Like, <laughs> we're, we're finally gone. I am. I was saddened by a uh, filmstruck closing down. I really liked filmstruck cause they had a criterion collection mm. on there. And, and now criterion, now the criterion collection has their own streaming service and I have yet to sign up for it. And I need to because they have a lot of good stuff. But I mean, like I say, Mario Payne, HBO, Showtime, Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime. It, it's just like, all right, I need to get away or something from all the streaming shit. Well, I flock to it because I'm like. <laughs> you flock to it. Euphoria is a good example. That is a great example. They have some good stuff. I can't wait for that. I can't wait for Westworld 3 and Westworld 3. Westworld season 3 and that Watchmen show. Man, that shit looks amazing. <laughs> amazing. Anyway, so anything else to add on to that? Minute news? No. No? Okay. No. Okay. My, <laughs> my turn. Uh, all right. So Todd Phillips thinks that the Joker can win at the Venice Film Festival top prize. Uh, the Joker, directed by Tom, sorry, directed by Todd Phillips and being produced by Martin Scorsese, is DC's Joker solar f- solo film. Um, I haven't heard news about this film, about how it's supposedly it's going to be really great. It's going to like blow everybody out of the water. Uh, the director said during an interview that the movie's most surprising film at the year's festival. Uh, Venice Film Festival is like this huge prestige uh, film festival, like Cannes Film Festival and stuff like that. Uh, let me see. This year's film festival, excuse me, uh, predicts that it will go straight to the Oscars and explains how Phillips himself is confident that this his movie can win the Golden Lion, the festival's top prize. That is a shocker because it's a comic book film at this prestige film festival. But are you like that shocked because uh, Joaquin Phoenix is like. I don't know. He pulls rabbits out of his fucking hat with his performances half the time. Okay, see, that I I don't doubt. Joaquin Phoenix is a phenomenal actor. I love watching that man's work. I'm a a bit shocked. Two reasons. One is Todd Phillips, the guy who directed the Hangover movies. Oh. And it's a comic book film. No, don't get me wrong. These comic book films are really good. And they are award-worthy. But top bill like this, I... I don't see it. Uh, I know Black Panther was nominated for Best Picture of the Year last year. Mm-hmm. I honestly don't think it should have been nominated. It was a great film. It wasn't Oscar worthy. Um, 
But the the awards it did get, like best costume design, best set design, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So yeah, I'm 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 actually shocked by this. And I'm I'm surprised you, I, I, I would think that you're more shocked about it because you, you don't like DC films, but you like how this film looks. I think it's just because of um because Joaqu- of Joaquin Phoenix. Gotcha, gotcha. Um it does look interesting. I I do like the fact that uh, Phillips has come out and said that the Joker's not going to be a comic book driven story. Um, I'm sorry, the, it's not going to follow any of the storylines for the Joker. It's going to be something completely different. I think that's also kind of why I have a lot of hope for it. So, when Heath Ledger came out with his Joker, mm-hmm. he was able to put his own spin on it, and I think that's what made that character so iconic. Yeah, And I honestly feel like they gave Joaquin Phoenix the reins to do the same thing with this Joker. Mm. And then with, you know, the writing being different than how the comic books are, I really think that, yeah, it's a comic book movie, but also kind of not. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it even, it, it, it follows, I don't know if it follows the tropes of a comic book film. There are certain, you can see certain bits of DNA in it. It's an origin story. It's someone pushed to the edge who has to wear some type of mask to conduct some form of what they consider justice. Um, there's nods to other people in that comic book universe. For example, there's like a young Bruce Wayne. There's uh, it's set in Gotham, you know. Um, but other than that, it's it, it, it's it, it doesn't look like it's a typical comic book film. Just another movie. Yeah, maybe another like artistic, another art. Like an indie. Type it looks. It kind does. of indie. It does look. It does look very indie. Um, it does look great, though. God damn, that shit looks good. If you don't know that, if you don't know this, we just love indie films. So. <laughs> yeah. You know. Um, but yeah, I mean, if it wins, if it wins an Oscar, um, cool. I don't know. I haven't seen it yet. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Joaquin Phoenix won an Oscar for it because, like I said, that dude's a great actor. But you know, we'll just have to wait and see. You know what happens. Yes. Yeah. So that's it for the new film news. And we're going to go right into... Um, news news. News news, or our topic discussion. Um, we've kind of just kind of just stumbled into this section, but now we're just announcing it as a topic discussion. And this is what the discussion is. Uh, clickbait articles are starting to kill the respect of journalism. Um, so you might be asking, what is clickbait? <clears throat> The definition says, Clickbait has been around since the beginning of internet advertising. Internet marketers crafted catchy titles and attention-grabbing descriptions. The clickbait headlines tend to exploit the gap of curiosity, giving just enough away to pique your curiosity, but not enough to satisfy it without clicking through. So, clickbait has been considered a bait and switch. Um, Bait and switch, sorry. And... A research done by the uh, University of Mississippi and the University of Oklahoma says um, they analyzed 1.67 million Facebook posts that had posted by a total of 153 media organizations. And what they found out is that um, (laughs) it's a lot of unreliable uh, media sources are often used clickbait that it grew in prevalence between 2014-2016. Specifically, 19 to 19.46% of headlines were clickbait. I think that's kind of a lot. 19%. 
You think that's a lie or a lot? I think that's a lot. And in here, that was in that was in what 2014. In 2015, it jumped to 23.73 percent, and then 25.27 percent in 2016. Um, they don't have any numbers for it now, but from what I've witnessed, from Kelsey I've witnessed, I'm sure from what all you have witnessed, a lot of articles pop up on our Facebook timelines or even in newspapers, and it's very clickbaity. Uh, there was something recently that oh. I, a good example, I think, is when they were saying that um, the new Bond. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, exactly. Okay, yes, go on, please. Well, I can never remember people's names. Uh-huh. So maybe you should say, because no, 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 I no, can't but remember y- her name. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a news article that came out that there was a new James Bond. And a lot of it was like, the, you know, the new James Bond. It's like right now... RadioTimes.com says, new James Bond. Who will replace Daniel? Oh, sorry. Completely different. <laughs> um, let me see. Let me find her name. Uh, she's from... She plays Valkyrie. No, no, not Valkyrie. She was in Captain Marvel. She... Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. Uh, Lashana Lynch. Lashana Lynch. Yes. Lashana I Lynch. love her. A lot of people... See, right, right here. Uh, Lashana Lynch, a black woman, has taken over as James Bond. That's the fucking headline right there. Yeah. And that's not the case in the movie. So then people want to click and see, you know, how, like, in what way or whatever. Mm -hmm. So it's like, oh, let's, you know, click on this article. And what they really mean is that she's going to be a new 007, which is completely different than James Bond. Because that was just the code name that James Bond was using. Yeah. Uh, Right here on BuzzFeed, it says Lashana Lynch will reportedly be uh, 007. Um this see, this is a little bit more precise. And then even Vox says, Vox says it perfectly. Lasana Lynch will reportedly play the new 007, but not James Bond. Right. But there were several articles saying black woman's the new James Bond. And people were just like, what? What is this shit? You know? Yeah. And it's clickbait. It's absolutely ridiculous, I think, too, because um, I know there was like this whole thing that you were telling me about where at first like james bond itself was also like another code name where people thought it was and yeah that was like a popular theory you said skyfall kind of killed that yeah oh yeah thank god skyfall fucking killed that <laughs> um so yeah like there's no way that they could write it that way mm-hmm. and keep going with it i don't think yeah it wouldn't make any sense but what we're trying to get at is these types of articles starts placing distrust in the reader where the reader's like, I don't believe the source at all. And these will be reputable film sites or reputable sites that will say this. And they're like, I don't trust that site because two articles back, they said something that made me click and wasn't a satisfying uh, okay. result. The other thing that's really wrong with this is, yeah, okay, it creates mistrust in the reader or conversely, the reader will believe the headline in actually not click on it exactly and then they're spewing off you know political bullshit that Mm -hmm. doesn't make any sense if they really think about it Mm -hmm. so it's like political stuff or film stuff or you know scientific stuff you know anti-vax shit yeah like okay so what's really going on is because you want the clicks for your little website that doesn't mean shit to anybody Mm mm-hmm now you're like hurting people yeah it's like because um 
from from one website that I won't mention, the uh, people behind it would say, you know, we need these clicks. We have to get these clicks. And I get it. You guys got to get traffic. We get that. But that's why you have engaging headlines because there are sometimes people will look at a headline and from what I've from what I've been told, they're called they're just called headline readers. Headline readers. They read the headline and they just go off of that. Mm-hmm. But you're trying to get these clicks. You're trying to get this traffic. That ends up fucking you up because, yeah, you're getting you're getting what you want now, but in the long haul, people are going to be like, I don't trust that site. Like you can be mysterious without outright lying to get people to click on your article. Yeah, you can bring in what's intrigue to the website. You can bring like interest to it by, oh, what do they mean by that, or what is this about? Yeah, you know, it's like a. I know it's like don't judge a book by its cover, but in some cases you have to read the title and be like. Hmm, that sounds interesting. Oh, that's catchy. Yeah. Um, and that, I mean, and that also brings sort of a craft too, where the people who are writing these articles also have to be creative enough in their own right to be, you know, actual journalists mm-hmm. and come up with these headlines. Otherwise, like, there's no point. You know, like, yeah. you have to, you can't just be good at part of your job. You have to be good at your whole job. I, I've heard I've heard a I've heard I've read a couple of stories how um, writers will write this really intense, really great article or this news story they've been working on, and either them or like the whoever's in charge is like you have to change that title because we have to bring interest to it. You have to make it. You got to attract people in it, and they'll they'll almost like lie with the headline just to bring the traffic in, and then read the article, and the article doesn't really cover what the headline said. Right. Which you're doing a service to to journalism from there. Like some one of those people that I'll click on, uh, like, oh, read these 27 stories from things that nurses have seen in the emergency room. Mm-hmm. Like I'll click on those because I'm like, I want to see what they said. Yeah. And the, th- you know, but usually what catches me too, it's not just the headlines, it's the thumbnail sometimes. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, man, I want to like, I want to get to that one. And like you think, okay, I'm going to get to the last one mm. and it's never, it's like, sometimes it's never, it's never really it's, brought in. It's or never like, brought in at all. It's like they brought you in with this one mm. promise and then it's like not even included in the stories. Yeah. And people have been, our readers have been taking the, the term clickbait and like say, just want to apply to everybody and just be like, Oh, it's clickbait. It's clickbait. You're like, why don't you and from the from like they'll look at the headline call it clickbait and then not click on it because they think they know it's clickbait but it's not they they've been so fucked over they're, on this. they're jaded like, they're, yeah exactly that's the exact word they've been jaded yeah that's exactly what i was getting at. thank you <laughs> um but yeah i mean like as as somebody who Kelsey and I read these articles a lot through during the week, sometimes we have to really get into these articles because we have to kind of decide what news stories we're going to get into. And there were a couple of times that I've been tricked. I'm sure Kelsey's been tricked mm-hmm. a few times. Um, one particular uh, film site will say something like, so-and-so in like Deathstroke outfit or some shit. And you're like, whoa, whoa, like what? They cast a new Deathstroke? And it's just like... Oh, no, it's just like a fan art. Yeah. Like, what the oh, fuck yeah. you just do? Fan art or like maybe somebody wore something to like a casting call or something. Yeah. 
or, you know, like like they were trying to talk about Nicolas Cage for the longest time as Superman when it was like 20 years ago or some yeah, shit. When, yeah. Like, okay, who who cares? Like, and he looked fucking weird. <laughs> you know, uh, you talking about, so was it, was it an actual, the actual Nicolas Cage picture of him in the Superman outfit? Yes. Oh. He was skinny as hell with the long ass fucking hair. There's a documentary about that movie that never happened. I got to show you that. Yes, please show it to me. I heard that shit's bonkers. <laughs> well, I'm sure it is, because anything with Nicolas Cage is. Oh, uh, he is America's treasure. Uh, oh, so, oh, speaking yes. of America's treasure, I'm so glad you brought that up, because fucking Keanu Reeves, I should have thought about this the other day. Hmm. When we were talking about him, and I couldn't shut up about how much I hate people shoving him in my face. Okay. And that I, it's not that I don't like him, it's just that I don't like seeing him. Okay like everywhere okay and you're like no he's america's treasure okay but i thought tom hanks was america's treasure yes he he's no he's the only america's treasure no america first of all this country's greedy as fuck so we can have multiple treasures okay no we can't yeah we can like uh what's like the name? you can only have one best friend so you can only have like that's not entirely true you can have multiple best friends no you can have one best friend oh my god you can have now you're now you're now you're really good friends now you're sounding greedy (laughs) uh okay like for example here's a here's a treasure he's not america's treasure but he's a treasure alan rickman who played hans gruber or um uh what's his name uh the dude from harry potter with the long black hair snape thank you people call him a treasure or 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 a treasure or uh Patrick Stewart, he's a treasure. You know, it's... Mm. He's not a treasure, is he? Oh, he is, because he loves dogs. Well, yeah, that, and he likes smoking weed, and if you ever really hear that guy talk, he's just... I can listen to that dude talk all fucking day. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I mean, where are we going? Treasure. Why are we talking about American treasure? Oh, yeah, so American treasure, Keanu Reeves, you hate Keanu Reeves. All right, Kevin Smith. What? (laughs) Seriously? (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so back to where we're going. Back to where we're going. Uh, yeah, so our, our opinions on clickbait is that we honestly think that it's starting to kill journalism. It's it's or it's helping kill journalism because people are trying, are 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 not trusting, um, not not trusting the news because of some fucked up or some bullshit clickbait. It's like the internet has somehow turned into the National Enquirer. Oh God, that is well, yeah. Where's yeah. that boy? Where's yeah. Bat Boy going to be next? You know what? There was a... Um, oh, I know that was Weekly World News. I can't believe I remember that shit. <laughs> um, I remember there's... I think it was like a meme or something I saw where it was parents in the 90s. Don't trust people. Don't, so tra- don't trust strangers or people trying to give you candy. Parents now. Did you see this video saying that the world is flat? Like shit like that. It's like we've gone in a full like reverse now. Yeah, no, exactly. Or they're like, don't make friends on the internet. And then it's like, okay, so now we have Tinder and Bumble and all these like... What the fuck's a Bumble? It's another dating app. Oh, okay. I don't do that. <laughs> what? I don't. <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> they exist. Uh-huh. And whether you do them or they don't, or you don't, uh-huh. they exist. They exist. Yes. And so, you know, now everyone's making friends on the internet and, you know, fuck safety, fuck intelligence or whatever. Yes. You know, because we did meet a friend from the internet, James. (laughs) To be fair, Uh, we met him on a, you know, populated street. He didn't immediately come home with you like you uh, thought he would. (laughs) 
Yeah, he was just like, uh, oh, oh, hey, hey. <laughs> I guess I was too much for him or something. No, no, no. It was funny because he stayed in a hostel and you're like, God, I'm so disappointed. James didn't want to come stay with me. <laughs> yes. And then yeah. I was like, I was thinking about it. I'm like, God, that is kind of weird. And I was like, wait a minute. No, he's being smart. That's yeah. what like normal people do. Like, who the fuck am I? Like, yeah, sure. Like, we've been talking to James for like several years through uh, the Facebook and Facebook like, and through like the site we write for or occasionally write for. But at the same time, I was just like, come on, man, we've been talking for four years. Of course, it could be like a whole big plan of like, yeah, we've been talking four years. You should totally stay with me. And then he ends up like in the back of a milk carton. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. If it still or exists. we do. Yeah, or we do exactly. He, you know, his thing is traveling to other countries and picking off people that are supposedly <laughs> his friends. I like how you say that picking off. That sounds very like he picks them off. Pew, pew. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's targeted because he travels there for that purpose. Uh, James, you're not a killer. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have the right type of name. You don't have two first names. Mm, yes. Oh yeah, that joke. Two first names, that means you're a serial killer. Mm-hmm. I think No, I think two first names, you're a killer. Three first names, you're a serial killer. I think it's something like that. No. Okay. Well, it's a rule I just made up, so whatever. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so yeah, our opinion is, you know, do your research. Do your research into an article and do your research into the, into the source. And people who write the articles, like, come on, stop it with a clickbait. It's not cool. Yeah, like. Pay attention to what you're reading, ask questions, and, you know, start paying attention to what sites are doing that mm-hmm. shit, and just ignore them on Facebook. You can actually snooze or block. Yeah, that's true, that's true. All right, so we are going to jump right into our try this, not that. Again, it's just Mark. It's just me. Because I, I, you know, I'm too busy. I have a lot of time on my hands, so I have a lot of stuff to watch. Uh, so for our try this... Um, I know I'm a bit late to the party, but season three is going to be coming out, I think, this year. Uh, Star, Trek, Star Trek Discovery is streaming on CBS Access, uh, created by Brian Fuller, guy behind American Gods and behind Hannibal, uh, and Alex Kurtzman, sorry, film TV producer. Uh, he's actually working on the Picard TV show, Fringe. He's worked on Fringe, which is a sci-fi show I fucking loved. And then Hawaii Five-0. Does your mom watch that? Hawaii Five-0? Yeah. She did watch it, yeah. My mom, my, I think my mom watches the new version. I used to watch the old version with her, the old Hawaii Five-0. No, I don't know if my mom watched the old one, but I know she did watch the new one for a little while. Yeah. So, for those who are not in the know, uh, Discovery is uh, 10 years before Kirk, Spock, and the Enterprise, the USS Discovery, discovers new worlds and life forms as one Starfleet officer learns to understand all things alien. This show is fucking awesome. I love the show. Um, I was going to get into it in the first season, but I just kind of threw it to the side. I was like, I'll check it out later. And then when I pulled my back, I was laid up for a while and needed something to entertain, entertain myself. That's why we missed a week. Yeah, that's why we missed a week. And um, that's why we didn't do that episode. It's a the, bonus. The Spider-Man the one. The Spider-Man. We're going to do it as a bonus one because, oh, we got to do that one. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I didn't have anything to do. So I pretty much marathoned the first two seasons. And this show is great. Uh, it stars, you're going to have to help me with that name, Kelsey. Sonique Martin? Is that it? Uh, it looks like Sonequa. Sonequa Martin-Green, who is the main lead. She actually, she plays a, 
Her character, I really dig her character's name. Her character's name is Michael Burnham, and oh. they call her Michael Burnham. Really? I have a theory that originally it was supposed to be a male lead, but maybe she like dominated that role on audition. And they were just like, like give her that role, but we got to change the name. And maybe like Brian Fuller was just like, no, we're keeping it like that. <laughs> you know, totally behind it. Um, so yeah, the show is dope. Doug Jones, who plays uh, uh, Saru. Doug Jones is pretty much the monster guy that Guillermo del Toro puts in his films. Mm -hmm. uh, he played Abe in Hellboy. He played like, uh, he played, what's his name? He played the fish man from The Shape of Water. He played that one character in that one movie. I like how you said it. Pan's Labyrinth. You mean the, he did multiple characters. He, <laughs> he did like the fawn. He did like the creature with no eyes. Um, and of course, I like how you did that. He's he's that one character in that one movie. Well, because usually <laughs> if I give you breadcrumbs, you're like, oh yeah, yeah. But you're like, he's the one character in that one movie. Those are some thick ass breadcrumbs. Thank you. You're welcome. Don't choke. Yeah. <clears throat> anyway, drier than a Popeye's biscuit. Anyway, so uh, the story kind of is on its own in the whole Star Trek universe. Uh, but then in season two they introduce more elements of the Star Trek universe uh, into the show. Uh, for example, this is not a spoiler because it's, the season two has been on for a while. Um, they got uh, Ethan Peck, who is the son of Gregory Peck. Oh, sorry, grandson of Gregory Peck. Uh, plays a young Spock. This dude knocks, he, he knocks it out of the park as Spock. Like he, something about, he like, is like Leonard Nimoy in this role. Really? With a super deep voice. Damn, that voice is deep. I wish I had this voice. His voice is like, we're going to Perfect. Yeah, I know. I'm, I started making myself laugh. It's, is it's, is it's, it deeper than Adam Driver? Yes, it's deeper than that. Sounds kind of sexy, too. Um, he plays like a young Spock. His, there's a relationship between him and the Michael Burnham character. Um, there's a character from like, Star Trek lore that pops in. There's actually several characters from Star Trek lore that pops in mm. into the series. Um, this show has just sucked me into the whole Star Trek universe now. Um, I've watched a few episodes of the classic, like uh, Star Trek with William Shatner, Leonard Nimoy, the first run. And ever since Star Trek Discovery, I've now picked up Star Trek The Next Generation and I'm watching that now. Mm -hmm. That show is dope as shit, too. But we're on Discovery. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot wait for season three because season two left with a great ass fucking cliffhanger. And every episode, at the first season, every episode ended like, holy shit, what are they going to do? It's like a cliffhanger that was really good that you did not see coming. Mm -hmm. And like, I think like the first two episodes of the first season, they put me in a emotional uh, glass box of human emotions i was like borderline crying because like a certain character died so soon but like the relationship between these two characters and that character that one particular character dying was just like oh like why did they take her out already mm -hmm. it was great it's so great um i can't wait to catch up on that i still haven't had the chance yeah i've given you i've given you a couple of the discs of the first season correct yeah yeah you gotta jump on it. it's really good i will uh, yeah, I mean, just do what I did. Pull your back, and then mm. you'll be forced to watch it. I should watch it at work. Yeah, you don't do anything. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I would... If you guys haven't jumped on that, that bandwagon, please jump on the bandwagon of Star Trek Discovery. 
Really great show. Awesome cast. Awesome acting. Uh, pretty. It's actually pretty cool CGI. It's almost like movie budget level CGI. Really? Or special effects. Yeah. You mean uh, better than Wesley Snipes' eyes? Oh. Oh. <laughs> oh, my God. Wesley Snipes' eyes. Do you want to tell that story? Yes. Yes, please, please. <laughs> okay. Let's, 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 what's it, detract? Let's detour out of well, here? Yeah. Okay. Blade came out. Blade Trinity? No, no, no. Blade came out. Okay. Great movie, right? Yes. I don't remember it, but everyone says it's great, so I'm going to go with it. <laughs> yeah. <okay. laughs> Second and third one came out, and I guess they were bad, and part of the reason is that Wesley Snipes mm-hmm. refused to come out of his trailer. Yeah, part be- three. In part three, yeah. yeah. Because he was smoking too much and playing video games and he just didn't want to. Yeah. So then when he would show up on set, he'd be high. Mm -hmm. And there's one particular scene where he's supposed to be waking up and he refused to open his goddamn eyes. (laughs) Like he just, nope, I'm going to keep them closed. But, Mm -hmm. but, but Wesley, like you got to open them because you're waking. Nope. Nope. Keep them closed. So then they had to CG his eyes, CGI his eyes in. Yeah, it, and they look hilarious. Yeah, you can. I, I'm I'm sure the picture's online. I saw it on. I've seen a picture of it on Facebook. I think. Man, that looks bad. If I was gonna make a meme, mm-hmm. I would, I would superimpose googly eyes over it. <laughs> That'd be great. Oh my god, that would be hilarious. <laughs> yeah, it looks so bad. It's like it's like if somebody like there's that old running joke where. You close your eyes and you draw eyeballs on it, so people don't don't know you're sleeping. Oh yeah, it looked like that, but like CGI, <laughs> like some computer <laughs> wrote it with their laptop. It was so horrible. It's so yeah. horrible. They went into paint and just like you know drew, <laughs> yeah. drew eyes on they, his eyelids. They went into Windows Paint and <laughs> did that. Uh, yeah. So before we leave, <laughs> they try this, not that. Uh, I re- highly recommend you guys try Star Trek Discovery. Um, I'll go ahead and kind of jump ahead and say you might want to try out star trek uh picard that is uh coming out i think this year if you guys have seen the trailer it looks fucking awesome i haven't seen the trailer oh it's patrick studled it's john luke picard he doesn't why do you sound like arnold schwarzenegger i don't know i don't know i'm horrible at accents (laughs) hey 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 mark do an italian accent uh, spaghetti. No, you're supposed to make everyone sound like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, oh here's my Scottish accent. Ah, uh, Picard. <laughs> That's even worse. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Can we get the fuck out of here? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that's the end of our Try This, Not That. Uh, so we are going to jump into our review of Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I'm Rick Dalton. It's my pleasure, Mr. Schwartz. Call me Marvin. Put it down. That's your son? No, it's my stunt double, Cliff Booth. Last night, we watched a Rick Dalton double feature. <laughs> All the shooting. <laughs> I love that stuff, you know, with the killing. A lot of killing. Anybody order fried sauerkraut? No, I'm a stuntman. 
All right, so that was the trailer for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, uh, directed and written by Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> just say it. I just noticed it. Okay, well, go ahead. You say it now. Now we have to say it. <laughs> I just noticed his notes say directed and directed by Shut up. <laughs> yeah, when I got the docket together, I was like, oh, directed and written by director by Quentin Tarantino. Instead, it says directed and directed by Quentin Tarantino. Oh, my God. Anyway, synopsis. Uh, a faded television actor and a stunt double strive to achieve fame and success in the film industry during the final years of Hollywood's golden age in 1969. Los Angeles. Uh, this stars Leonardo DiCaprio, uh, Brad Pitt, Margot Robbie, uh, Dakota Fanning's in there a little bit, Al Pacino, Kurt Russell, a whole bunch of people, like a whole bunch of people's in this movie. And uh, like I said, it is the ninth film of Quentin Tarantino's uh, filmography. He's gearing up to retire after his 10th film. So... Without going into spoilers, because we'll do that later, what did you think of this movie, Kelsey? Um, I thought... <sighs> I was a little on the fence about it, to be mm-hmm. honest. Mm. My consensus about it is that it's not the best film I've ever seen. Mm. It's one of those... I guess I would say it's one of those films that is pretty, but it's lacking substance. I will totally agree with you on that. Totally. But gone. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, as always, Leonardo DiCaprio's great actor. Mm. Brad Pitt. I, as always, I can leave him or take him, but mostly leave him. <gasps> I don't like Brad Pitt. <gasps> I don't. I, I like and everyone Pitt. thinks he's pretty, and I don't think he's aging well. He kind of has a dog face. I think he's aging great. No, no. He, he looks like a guy. From like fucking Marlboro commercial from like the seventies or some shit. Yeah. You know? Which that does not equate to what people find attractive at this point in time. Gotcha. Okay, so go on about how much you hate Brad Pitt. <laughs> no, no, sorry, go on about go about the film. Uh there's a little girl in Uh yeah, yeah. Her name is uh Julia Butters, yeah. Julia Butters. Mm-hmm. Can you quickly look her up on IMDB? Yeah, for sure. I'll just, do that. Yeah. Um, I'm just wondering because I saw recently in San Diego, and I'm so bad with names, but this girl has such a spark in her like somebody else I saw, and mm-hmm. I don't know if she's the same girl or not. Uh, let me see. Her filmography, Once Upon a Time, Family Man, The Kicks, Best Friends, Whenever, Turn, 13 Hours, The Rusted, and Criminal Minds. Okay, never mind. So it's not that not that girl. No, I thought she was honestly the little girl from The Walking Dead. Oh, the one who plays um, what's her name? The daughter Rick Grimes. Judith. Is the, Judith. Oh, okay, yeah, I can I, see I, it. Yeah, she kind of looks like her. Mm-hmm. I can totally uh, but see it. They have like the same spark, and like that little girl's so fucking intelligent. Yeah, I've uh, I've read an article that Leonardo DiCaprio is is equating the girls the girls. Uh, talent as an actress to like Meryl Streep. Oh wow! Yeah, the very young Mel- Meryl Streep. I'm not a big Meryl Streep fan. I I get the appeal of Mel- Meryl Streep. I f- have seen her in other things, so I could totally see it because out of everybody in this movie, that's the one I was like gravit uh, gravitated to. I was like, 
damn, this little girl's good. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, the other thing I'll say, if we're going to talk about characters, is mm. that I read um, who Dakota Fanning's character was. Yeah. I forgot she was even in the film. And then I read who she was, and uh. I was like, I didn't even fucking notice. Seriously, like when that girl was, she, she plays a girl named Squeaky. When this girl popped up, I was like, why does that girl look so familiar? And I looked at her, I was like, that's Dakota Fanning. I was like, holy shit. I didn't even think she looked familiar. She looked really different. Yeah, she yeah, had definitely. red hair. Yeah. Um, plus, she gained a little bit of weight and she got a little bit older. But yeah, I, holy shit. That was but Dakota not Fanning. like fat weight. Yeah, like she looked, filled out. She correctly. filled out. She yeah. looked good, though. Yeah, yeah. Um, what did you. So, okay, so you were saying that you, what were you saying about how it looked? You liked how it looked, right? Yeah, it's it's a pretty film lacking mm-hmm. substance. Yeah, I, I would have to second that because I really like how the film looked. I was actually thinking about it earlier today of how he shot the movie, how Tarantino did the setups and the blocked his shots and everything. I really dug how he was able to recreate Hollywood of that time. Um, it's... It's very, it's very pretty. It's very pretty. But what did, I think you told me that, that it's like he was trying to do that, like showboating, right? Yeah. I would have to say this is like, if anything, this is like Tarantino's vanity project. He really wanted to show that he could recreate Hollywood. Um, that did bother me last night after we saw it. I was just like, really, dude? Like, what the fuck are you doing? But I kind of, I read up on the movie and I, I can kind of give him a pass now that he wanted to, the reason why he did this is because he wanted to show how he remembered Hollywood, which I'll give him a pass on that because he really, he really nailed it pretty well. Um, but as far as you were saying about substance, it's lacking. Can Can I bring up about feet yet? No, no, we'll go about that. We'll go into that in spoilers. Okay. Yeah, it's lacking substance. There's really, there's stuff going on, but it's like, you're kind of watching like, what is the point of all this shit I'm seeing? You know, um, DiCaprio's performance is really great. And I really like how they were getting into his character and the fact that he's playing this wash up television actor. But at the same time, it was just like, okay, we're getting to it. But like, what are we getting to? At he, what are, what's this conclusion we're going to get to? And there was really no fucking conclusion to that character. There, there was none. So what I actually really, so I think it's really pretty, right? And mm. I'm saying it's lacking substance, but what really bothers me about this film mm. is that it doesn't go anywhere at all. Yeah, exactly. Until the very end, and you're still sitting there wondering, what the fuck was the point of that? Yeah, and even like the parts where they showed Margot Robbie, Asher, and Tate, why why are we why are we following Sharon Tate yeah because it doesn't it, it turn it goes a certain way we're just like well what was the point of this showing this well, fucking character and in my about? brain I'm like so is she gonna meet Rick Dalton now and then yes, like in exactly. the next scene I'm like okay is she gonna meet him now how about now now <laughs> not now now no yeah like they like a lot of that and I, I guess I don't know it has to go with the marketing or the way how the poster was wore or whatever but it seemed like they were going to eventually all meet um, DiCaprio Pitt and Robbie they were all going to meet at some point in the movie maybe in the middle or something and then the story was going to continue moving forward and be like epic exactly and so no we're just like 
We're getting this story here, but there's almost no fucking point. We're getting two movies in one, but none of them even matter. Yeah, and there's really no interacting interacting with within each other. Um, Yeah, that's just two parallel movies you're watching at the same time. Yeah, like we're like for like for example, this is kind of like, and he's Tarantino says in the interview, this is his closest um, closest film to Pulp Fiction, which Pulp Fiction is a great film. I will admit that that's a great film they have parallel stories but eventually the stories kind of interact with each other or like how this character met this character and it kind of like comes together at the end to a point where you're even if it's out of order you'll think back and be like okay they met him at this point this point this point this point so this is how the story went like if you think of it chronologically yeah this one doesn't do that it's just like these two people are on opposite sides of the fucking city they will know they live right next to each other, but yeah. they never fucking meet. Yeah, and they're ever. That's where I was going. Like they live together, but they might as well be on the opposite sides of the fucking city. Yeah, which was really bothering because at the end, there comes this kind of this blow up scene, and we're just like, "What? <laughs> like, wait, why? Why?" I, mean, I actually kind of enjoyed that. No, I mean, don't get me wrong. It it was cool. I liked how it was shot, but it was just like, was it earned? And no, yeah, and so when we get into the spoiler section for that, I'll you know I'll have to tell you what I actually think about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we're we're on DiCaprio, we're on Robbie. Oh, and there's a dog. Oh that. yeah, that dog. Oh, I love that dog. Okay, uh, I have to talk about <laughs> I have to talk about Brad Pitt's performance. Um, this movie, I liked Brad Pitt's performance, but it seemed like Brad Pitt just kind of being being Brad Pitt. He always comes across as, like, he has half a brain cell, and that's just how he operates. Like, how Matthew McConaughey, Mm. he almost even kind of sounds like him sometimes, Mm. too. Mm, But it's like, if you think of Matthew McConaughey as always, like, this cool surfer dude kind of guy, it's like if Brad Pitt was like that, but not as cool. Like, he's just half a brain cell all the time and that's all you get so you're saying that for the film or just brad pitt in general? just brad pitt in general you gotta watch i gotta shoot more of his other stuff this was good what, what did i see him in where he was like li- like living in a trailer park or some shit uh california no uh it was a really weird performance that he gave i can't like fighting he was fighting oh fucking um Snatch. Yeah. That was a... Oh, come on. He... No, (laughs) so look. I don't hate him in that. I just feel like his roles... He never steps outside of what he can do. Okay. I got to show you his other stuff. Like 12 Monkeys. That's a damn good performance from him. Because he plays in the nutso. When did that come out? In uh, 95. Okay, that's why I've never seen it. <laughs> yeah, all of his good acting he did when I was kind of not allowed to watch anything. His acting, his, okay, Curious Case of Benjamin Button. His acting's really good. That came out in 2008. That's a really good acting. And that's a David Fincher film. Still wasn't watching movies at that time. Oh my God, Jesus Christ. Woman. What movie was that? Oh, uh, the, the Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Yeah, I didn't watch that. <laughs> 2008. What was what? I doing in 2008? Having... I was living in North Carolina. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Go on. I think my life was, like, surrounded, like, fully involved in being a military wife at that time. <laughs> okay. That was it. My daughter and being a military wife. Hey, here's a bit of, here's a little bit of news on Brad Pitt. He's an executive producer of one of your favorite shows. 
Oh, yeah, I know. But which one is it? Because I forgot. The OA. Oh. <laughs> You're like, oh, okay. Never mind. I don't care. <laughs> uh, all right. I like Brad Pitt in this performance. I was really digging. Uh, I was really digging how, he, how I dug how the story would follow him uh, when he, after he would drop off Rick Dalton to do a shot. Mm-hmm. Or do do a scene or whatever in his movies. I liked the fact that we were following him, and even uh, when we got to see his personal life, I had a real big problem when they showed him driving for like ten minutes, or it felt like ten minutes. Why? We get it. He's a stuntman. Of course, he would drive fast. We got it. But damn it, dude, do we gotta follow him all the way to fucking Van Nuys? It was it was bothersome to see him drive for so long. I think that they could have expanded on that a little bit oh, and driving? it would have been more interesting. I think like maybe he stopped a couple places. Okay. Yeah. Cause I think what they were trying to get at was he's not acting right now. He's not being a stunt double. So he has to get his adrenaline rush from somewhere. Okay. Okay. So that's about that. where I get that from. But mm. if they would have done something else, like, mm. I don't know it. It just seemed like they forced that whole thing, too, because there's a part where he's got to fix something and he doesn't use a ladder. He, like, jumps. I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, but in retrospect, I was like, like, I liked it when it happened. And then I thought about it. and I'm mm. like, that's fucking cheap. Come on. Mm. Oh, actually, you know what? I take that back. I don't think that was cool because they gave examples of, of, of his stunt work and some of like the flashbacks that they had. Which I told I was digging not too much, but I got it. I got the point of it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that car thing was like. There's a part where like there's not a spoiler or anything, but there's a part where he gets in the car and he like backs out and he like he does 180 really fast. And it, all they have to do is show that and him t- taking off and be like, okay, cool. We know he's a stuntman. We see it in in his driving. But the whole wheezing going back and forth now traffic is just like that's kind of dumb. Well. And I don't think this is a spoiler either, but mm. then right after they show that, then there's Roman Polanski and Sharon Tate mm-hmm. winding on the same fucking road in the same exact fucking oh, way. Yeah, and they're exactly. not stun doubles. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Okay. So it seems like we're, we're almost slipping the trailer or the, the movie. So what we're going to do is we're just going to go ahead and jump on the spoilers. But if you guys haven't seen the movie. You don't want to hear spoilers, and you guys want to skip ahead. We're gonna throw in a bumper right about now. So we are in the spoiler section now. I want I want you to lead this. You want me to lead oh, it? Oh yeah. <laughs> okay. Where's my first problem? <laughs> in the in the long list of problems. <laughs> okay. I almost kind of wish we would have talked about our retro review first. Mm-hmm. Because you didn't mention what it was, and I want to harken back to it. Okay. Um, okay, so we're like I said, we're in the spoiler section, so we're going ahead and just throw it out. Our geriatric cinematic review is going to be uh, 1969's uh, Easy Rider, directed by Dennis Hopper, starring Dennis Hopper and Peter Fonda. Okay, so please continue. All right, 
they are totally fucking stealing from that movie. Like, okay. And I think the words I used when I was telling you about it after we watched it last night. Okay. He is Tarantino. Tarantino. Yes. Sorry. Mm. Quentin Tarantino is stealing from other films in a really underhanded way. Mm -hmm. So, so well, my issue with that is, okay, so I watched easy rider. Mm -hmm. That one opens with them at the fucking airport. Yeah. Okay. This one opens with them. I forget where it opens with them. Well, they, they start like a like a like a TV show kind of showing um, behind the scenes, like a, an interview between Rick, Rick Dalton and and. But, oh, but it was like they get in the car though. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. After like this whole quick like interview introduction of the characters, they go into like uh, present day where Rick Dalton and Cliff Cliff Booth are driving to to a set. Right, and so you get their camaraderie or whatever. Mm. So, like, to me, it's parallels. Like, yeah, okay, a lot of other films open up this way. Mm. But because it's almost kind of like an easy rider ended up on Quentin Tarantino's list of movies to see before you watch yeah. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah, it's like, it's like he, he, did a li- he did a list of, like, ten films that inspired him or you should watch before watching uh, this film to kind of get an idea of what he was trying to say. Okay, so... That's what bothered me because, yes, lots of other films do that. Mm. But because these are in the same set in the same year Mm. and because they both had a a certain feel about them, like almost the same kind of feel. Yeah. It really felt like, okay, I'm going to do a more updated version of this other film Mm -hmm. and I'm going to do it in enough of a different way, Mm. but still in a very similar way that I can get away with basically redoing this director's cult classic fucking film yeah. without being called out on it. Yeah. Cause, uh, f- cause this movie, um, once upon a time, it shows like the golden age of, of Hollywood and kind of like how it's changing, uh, as time is going on. Easy writer kind of follows the same thing where they try to follow the golden age of America and mm-hmm. the two characters are slowly seeing how everything is changing around them. So like, okay, so a quick rundown of what I'm talking about. Mm. There's the car, the, the characters in the cars. Yeah. Then also there's a point where Rick Dalton has to become more of a hippie type of cowboy. Yes. That's absolutely, yes. And he looks like Dennis Hopper. And there's a hate for that. The same way in yes, Easy Rider, there's a hate for hippies. Okay. They have a hippie commune in both fucking movies. Oh my god, yeah, because it kind of runs parallel with the whole Charles Manson cult thing. Yes. Okay. They have drugs and like you know easy living kind of thing going on in both, but also a struggle, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really nice dudes on both sides. Yeah. With obvious issues, um, and then what else? The shock ending. Yes, that ending. Yeah, Easy Rider had this kind of like, what the fuck? Like, out of nowhere ending, even though it was more justified because it, it kind of got their message through. This one, it was a shock ending, but it wasn't really justified. No. Yeah. It wasn't. Okay. <clears throat> the other issue I had, mm-hmm. this is what I really wanted to do. Okay. You 
mentioned we were doing Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and I immediately wanted to say, oh, you mean soft porn? <laughs> because of the feet. <sighs> yeah. You lead with this because you know more about it. Yeah. Um, if, if, you got, if you people don't know, Quentin Tarantino has this kind of foot fetish. Uh, I don't know if he's ever really come forward with it, but if you see his past films, Pulp Fiction, uh, Kill Bill, Death Proof, uh, Jackie Brown, there is a kind of foot fetish thing going on where the camera will like set on some feet on a on a on a on on his his lead his lead female's feet, and he'll just almost sexualize it without really hitting you over the head with it. Mm. But it's just like there, like just bam there. And I didn't even know realize it, right? Yeah. But it was like it's funny because you mentioned it to me. Yeah, while we were watching, I was I like point out like, oh, there's the feet. You're like, oh yeah, he has a foot fetish, mm-hmm. and then we watched the film, mm-hmm. and it's like feet, 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 feet everywhere, <laughs> feet everywhere, and uh. not like clean, really pretty feet that even someone who doesn't have a foot fetish would be like, oh, those are nice feet. Mm-hmm. No, it's like feet that have been in boots all day like sharon tate's feet are up on the back of a seat and they're dirty you know the hippies are all barefoot wa- walking around in the dirt and the sand i'm like, like my, my i mean not, no pun intended but like my toes are curling right now i'm like <laughs> mark thinks feet are disgusting they are I, f- fuck i don't care they are even freshly pedicured feet mm, god whatever <laughs> they're on the ground for a reason not always <laughs> Ugh, then they should be. <laughs> um, so that's why I wanted to be add that little snark in there when you introduce it. I'm like, I can't, I can't, I fucking can't. <laughs> it's totally soft porn because of how he shows feet every almost in like I swear it's almost in every scene. Yeah, it's it's honestly not in every scene, but it sure feels like it. Yeah, like, as soon as I point it out, you're just like, oh. There, here we are now. We're, we, I can't get this. But shit because out of, of the hippies, there's like ten people with all their feet up in the air while they're watching TV. Like, uh, oh, oh, Jesus. Do you remember? I do remember, and I remember. I remember it now, but I remember thinking more. I was like, this scene is unsettling. Why? I'm not understand. Oh, now I remember. Like, oh, it's the fucking feet. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so yeah, like a lot of the movie, a lot of the movie follows. It follows DiCaprio and Brad Pitt's character and how they're like he's maneuvering through Hollywood and trying to like revitalize his career and how Brad Pitt's essentially like his best friend. Mm -hmm. Which I like that dynamic between the two. They seem genuine, like they were buddies. And from what I heard, like they really got really close while shooting the film. Um, I thought they were already friends. No, no. I read somewhere that like they had they they had known of each other, but they never really had worked together and really hung out. That's very surprising. I to know, me. right? You figure they would, yeah. And, but like this is the first time they've actually done a movie together, which is another surprising thing because these are yeah. like two leading actors, you know? Yeah. Um. So that I I dug the dynamic between the two. Um. We were talking about the actress uh, Julia Butters. Um. There's a scene that she shares with Leonardo DiCaprio mm. that. It's probably like the best scene out of the whole movie where her character, uh, who name is Trudy, she interacts with Rick Dalton and you see like 
a compare and contrast between these two generations of actors, how she's the new generation and how Rick Dalton's the old generation. Mm -hmm. And there's even a part where she's reading a book. She says it's a biography. And it's an obviously like big bio. It's a thick book. It's a huge book that like an eight-year-old should not be reading. Mm -hmm. But she's reading it like, can you leave me alone? I'm reading this book. While Rick Dalton pulls up this like little cowboy like pulp. Soft cover book. Yeah, pulp book. And is reading it. And you see the difference in like intelligence and an acting, um, <laughs> acting, not stability, but acting, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Determination, like to stay into the, stay into the character. She even like makes a mention like, I don't break character. Like, yeah, he asked her name and she's like, she gave the name of her character and he's like, yeah. no, but like, what's your real name? And she's yeah. like, I don't break character. So I always introduce myself as the character that I'm playing. Yeah, exactly. And then like, this is when DiCaprio's performance comes in, which I was like, damn, that dude's a good actor. Where he starts talking, where she asks about this book he's reading, and he goes into detail what this book's about and how that book relates to his character and how his character is becoming old and worn out. And he just starts bringing out the waterworks. I was like, holy shit, this is why this dude's wanna finally won a fucking Oscar. Well, it's funny because, so he plays a guy who essentially plays cowboys yeah like mm -hmm. a cowboy and the book is about a cowboy who falls off of a, falls horse, off a horse yeah and you know he's a bronco buster and then he can't he can't do that anymore because he has back injuries so then yeah. he's like okay well what's my purpose in life now yeah so then he's like oh my god what's my purpose in life exactly. and this girl's looking at him like what the fuck is wrong with you <laughs> yeah it's it's really good and um there are there are uh one one thing I will give another thing Tarantino is really great at is that he's really good at picking the right music for his movies. Oh, and there's a lot of it. Yeah, and there's a lot of it. Normally, like um, his, a lot of people have said that you can take his soundtracks and just put it on the radio, even though he does take a lot of radio music and just play it while you're driving. This is a strong case of that because a lot of times you hear the radio and people are fucking driving. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of driving going on. So the music kind of really, really, really fits the time. Like you would picture that's the music they would obviously play of 69. I mean, it's not so hard to pull that music out because it exists. Yeah. Uh, it was really cool how it was, um, how it was playing out. Um, unfortunately, it doesn't really have too much to do with the movie. It doesn't really speak volumes of what's going on. No, um, it's just another thing to add to the prettiness of it. Yeah, exactly. Normally, like people, they'll have a soundtrack, and it's supposed to like it's supposed to get a, a rise out of you. It's supposed to bring a certain emotion out of you within the movie. This is just like, oh, this is a cool jam. I well, totally sometimes it's like, oh yeah, well Sharon Tate's upbeat and dancing, so you should be too. Oh man, <laughs> that's a segue into Sharon Tate. I take it. You, you, go, you take that because I you had the most hate on it. <laughs> okay, first of all. I will admit I don't know Sharon Tate's story. Mm -hmm. So when I'm saying that there's two different movies going on at the same time, there's Rick Dalton and Cliff Booth, mm -hmm. and then there's Sharon Tate and Roman Polanski and whatever friends they decide to invite over to their house. Yeah, or whatever party they decide to go to. So it's like, and then there's that one scene where they went to a party at the Playboy Mansion, and oh, who was it? What? It was uh, Steve. It was I can't oh, remember. Steve McQueen. It was Steve McQueen. I can't remember the actor's name, but he played Steve McQueen, and I really hate this scene because it was just a setup for an exposition. Yeah, he's like, "Oh my god, 
you know, she was engaged to this one guy and then she went to Europe and mm. married the this, Polish guy instead, yeah. which is Roman Polanski. Yeah. And then came back and is living in Hollywood anyways and they're all best friends. And he's like, and then someone he was talking to is like, oh, she has a type. And then he's like, yeah, I never stood a chance. Yeah. And like, that's it. That's fucking it. Like, you guys didn't see, but Kelsey's like pointing, like how he was pointing in the, in the movie. And it was so odd how he did it. He like pointed at one, gave the story, pointed to another, gave the story, pointed to another, gave the story, and then pointed at all three to connect that story. <laughs> and it was like, what the fuck, dude? Yeah, you know, he had to draw it out for you because you're too stupid to get it. Oh, my God. <laughs> Speaking of drawing out, there is some, what's it called? There's some narration that happens in this fucking movie. It comes out of nowhere. It's out of place. And it hits you over the head with what you just fucking saw. Um, the narration is done by Kurt Russell. And it actually is sprinkled throughout a little bit, but it's so small that you don't even notice it. You uh, you notice it at near the end when like yeah but they do like a time jump like six months later, and they're like like Kurt Russell's narrating what's going on with these two characters at the same time yeah like you know they went to this bar and blah 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 and they show the bar's name like you didn't have to fucking see it <laughs> you know they went there to go get drunk and then they get drunk you didn't have to fucking say it <laughs> like we got it we fucking got it they you know? knew they were never gonna talk to each other again after this so they got drunk as you know, parting friends the only way they could. Yeah. And, and you, you could have easily have saved that with like maybe two lines of dialogue. Yeah. Something like that. Um, I have a, I have a little bit of a bias against narration if it's not used properly. Cause I remember, uh, I think it was Martin Scorsese said during an interview about narration, he said, you either use it for the whole film or you don't use it at all. Otherwise it's going to, it's going to like fuck up. I'm paraphrasing obviously, but otherwise you're going to fuck up the story. Yeah. And whenever I see that, it just starts, it, it takes me fully out of it. Yeah. Like you either haven't like Goodfellas is a great example. There's narration throughout the whole movie, but the narration adds more to the story. Royal Tenenbaums. Royal Tenenbaums. (laughs) It adds to the story and adds to the art. This is just like this, 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 and this. And then stop talking. Kurt Russell shows up. What the fuck, dude? You're just narrating the story. <laughs> yeah. Then he goes away. <laughs> then he narrates the obvious. Obviously, in the last 30 minutes of the fucking story. Yeah. Like, what the fuck did you just do, man? Um, yes. Anyway. Okay. I have. So, anyways, with Sharon Tate, mm-hmm. the whole time, she's got this really dumb smile on her face. Yes. Also, it didn't really look like Margot Robbie to me at all, except sometimes I could see her really big jawline. Okay. Um, which sometimes I like that and sometimes I don't like, it really depends on how they showcase that. But Mm -hmm. anyway, she had this dumb smile on her face the entire time. She was like really chipper. Like, I don't understand what he was trying to say. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know if she was actually really like that, but I seriously fucking doubt it (laughs) because nobody's like that. Mm -hmm. And she's just like walking with the biggest pep in her step and like all happy. And she like, cons a theater out of 75 cents of their fucking ticket value because she wants to watch a movie that she was in mm-hmm. even though she's a fucking celebrity and could have afforded that money to get into the goddamn movie yeah the 75 cents you know support the guy the theater that's showing your fucking movie yeah that that irritated me i was like 
Go on. <laughs> she's in the movie theater. First of all, she has these like oh, she's bringing up the feet. white, yeah, the white go-go boots on or whatever they are, mm. with her short-ass white skirt, which oh, that outfit did actually look cute on her. Yeah, it was all the time. Yeah, mm. and then she gets into the movie theater, and all of a sudden, there's her dirty feet on the back, and they're dirty. Yeah, dirty the, feet yeah, on the Tarantino back of the seat. Yeah, let you know those feet are dirty. <laughs> yeah, because he likes it dirty. <laughs> so, um, and I have to bring that up too later. Okay. Um, because we talked about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know she's still even at the end of the movie just hanging out with people, pregnant as hell. And I did not know her story. I didn't know that she got murdered by hippies or whatever. Yeah, Charles Manson. Go on. And that's not how this story ends. And I don't want to get into that because I want to talk about what actually happens before we lead up to the actual ending of okay. it. Yeah. Um, really quickly, I want to say that Brad Pitt, mm-hmm. even though I don't entirely like him, whatever was written about him and his story, mm-hmm. like the character that he plays, was the most interesting part of the movie, I think. Yeah, I really dug his backstory. I like that flashback that... Um that they just they show where why a particular person why Kurt Russell's character doesn't like him, and you see in the trailer he like gets in, he actually like fights Bruce Lee, and it's actually kind of cool a, a, a kind of cool action scene where they're like throwing blows and like he chugs Bruce Lee against a car and stuff like that. And it shows a great Bruce Lee. Yeah, that dude was a great fucking Bruce Lee. The only thing that bothered me is when he would do his the, he was an over exaggeration of the character, which I think that was kind of the point. But like he would, he when when the dude his name is um, his name is uh Mick, Mike Mao, who plays Bruce Lee. He like would do the whoa kind of thing, mm-hmm. but it was just like whoa, dude. Okay, now, now the real Bruce Lee did that probably. I mean, because I know him so well. Yeah, I think he didn't didn't want to be try like try to be too true to Bruce Lee because maybe that would be some sort of dishonor. Yeah, I think it's. I think Bruce Lee's daughter actually was just like found it offensive. Really? <laughs> yeah, she was just like that's. I think like she. I think she said that because um, uh, what's his name? Tarantino went to Sharon Tate's sister. I can't remember her name, and pretty much got her blessing to use Sharon Tate and like got to know her. Wanted to reassure her that like no, I'm gonna do the character right. I'm gonna do your sister right. But he never went to Bruce Lee's daughter and was like, "Hey, I'm gonna do your father. I'm gonna do your father." <laughs> I'm going to have your father in my movie, you know? And she was just like, that's, that's messed up. Like, you could have talked to me. I could have gave you, like, the real, the real Bruce Lee. But he never did. Yeah. So, I actually think that um, his, his story was the most interesting. Brad Pitt's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, when it comes to the, I guess, the meat and potatoes of the story, when it finally wants to wrap up after you don't know what the fuck you've been doing there the whole time. Mm. Still no Sharon Tate meeting Rick Dalton. Mm. He lights up this fucking cigarette dipped in acid that he got yeah. from the hippie commune when yeah. he went there. No, no. Um, let's let's take let's take a step back. So Brad Pitt ends up meeting up with one of, and he ends up going into the ranch where Manson and his family lived out in Chatsworth. And there's like this kind of really tense moment that you think he might not make it out alive. Which I have to give credit to Tarantino because I really like that scene because I was like. I was on, what's the, what's the term? Pins and needles, the edge of my seat or whatever, thinking like, fuck, he's not going to make it. And on Or his, he's going to have to kill everybody. Yeah, There's exactly. like 30 people there. Yeah, because he, he has shown that he is a fucking badass. 
Um, so he comes back, and this hippie girl on the street saying, like, hey, you want to buy this this weed cigarette dipped in acid? And he's like, yeah, sure. It buys his weed acid. Six months later, jump, six months jumps. Um, Rick Dalton and Cliff Booth, they're about to, like, go part ways because Rick Dalton's kind of going on a different path now. So one last... So for their final night hanging out, they get drunk. And they end up at this house. Okay, but the weird thing is they didn't get drunk together. They got drunk separately in the got, same house. No, no, they got drunk at the Mexican bar. Yeah, but then they he's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go and watch whatever with you. I'm going to be in your house with you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're and he, like, so there's Rick Dalton in his fucking pool again, like he does every night on his own. Yeah. While his new wife is sleeping. And then there's fucking... Um, Cliff Booth just walking his, dog. walking his dog and smoking a fucking acid cigarette and mm-hmm. like whatever. Like there wasn't that was really weird. It was disjointed. Yeah, that's true. yeah, he, yeah. So the hippies show up. Yeah, Matson's family completely walk past. Uh, Cliff Booth. They don't even notice that he's walking his dog. Okay, go on. They knock on the door. Rick Dalton answers before he's in the pool. And he's like, they're like yelling at him. Or no, no, no. He no, doesn't you, knock you on got, the door. He's in the, in the car. They're in the car, yeah. the loud car. And he comes out yelling at them like, hey, get off this fucking street. Like, yeah, because like the, you know, for people who are in the know, Sharon Tate was killed by Manson's uh, family members and well, surrogate family members. And yeah, they pull up in this car and they're about to go commit the murders. And Rick Dalton's like, drunk get the fuck off my private street and all that kind of stuff yeah yeah so that happens and then he goes back inside and they drive off and then they decide they're going to come back so they walk up the path and one of the members like oh i forgot my knife and she gets in the car and she takes takes off off because she's fucking scared which is kind of funny yeah they get into this house and you know first cliff booth gets back into the house and then they show up and they all have knives or whatever and he's like oh shit yeah, he's like tripping on acid. He's like, are you guys real? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, he then it's like a bloodbath. He like, obviously he knows how to fight. Yeah. He just, and he basically murders all of them except for one that gets away. Yeah. Even though like he really did some damage to her. Mm-hmm. She ends up out back where Rick Dalton is in the fucking pool. And he's like, has headphones on. He's like, what the fuck is going on? Right. Mm hmm. And then he pulls out a fucking flamethrower from the set of this movie, like the Twelve Fists of Fury or some shit. Yeah, that's that that was Chekhov's gun right there, or Chekhov's flamethrower in this case. Yeah, and he burns her to a crisp while she's in his pool, mm. and then like, you know, Cliff Booth has a knife in his hip, so he ends up going to the doctor, and his he. Rick Dalton leaves his wife in the house by herself afterwards because mm. apparently she took like five sleeping pills. Yeah. And he's just standing outside taking a breather. And then that's when like Sharon Tate's friend is downstairs like, hey, is everything OK? And then she starts talking over the loudspeaker. Yeah. Or the intercom. And like. That's how they meet. They He gets invited up to the Tate house. Yeah. Because that's the alternate ending to what could have happened if Sharon Tate wasn't murdered. Yeah, like they were they were kind of alluding to the idea that, you know, like it says in the synopsis, he's a wash up actor and it kind of loses the idea that he might have to quit acting or really think about what his next move is. And the scene that Kelsey's referring to near the end, it essentially is a bloodbath. Um, 
the one character comes in like with a gun and he's like i am the devil i'm gonna kill you all blah 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 one thing i really dug and kelsey brought it up earlier is his dog oh i can't remember the dog's name i think it was like Vic or some shit like that dog i i like that setup for the dog because throughout the movie that dog is loyal like he doesn't do anything and unless cliff booth tells him to do something when the people come come through the door the dog is like standing there like looking at the person with the gun and the guy's about to pull the trigger and then brad pitt just goes like snaps his finger and the dog's like going bam and just like <laughs> attacks him yeah and then somebody else is gonna come after uh cliff or whatever yeah, cliff, and yeah. then he like you know, punches her right in the nose or something like like no now I remember he throws a can of dog food at her nose at just, her face yeah, yeah. Just breaks the nose and stuff and but then he like snaps his finger and points somewhere else and then the dog is there like yeah the dog is like doing his work for him as mm. best that the dog can is like a weapon but also like an ally yeah and like the dog's just going nuts biting people Cliff Booth is just like punching people like breaking their necks like at one point he gets um. At one point, he like fights one of the one of the girls and just starts, like they, like I think she like he tackles her, she falls on the table, and then he picks her up after he has like a knife in his hip, maybe like close to like a carotid artery or something like that, and then like he just like bashes her skull in on the fucking like the stone of the the fireplace. Yeah, and then the what the other girl gets eaten by the other dog by the dog just numb just blah 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 all that kind of. Stuff. I mean, I'm going blah blah blah, but what I meant to go is blah, 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 blah. like, <laughs> like it, it's a, it's a bloodbath. It's essentially like a bloodbath. You that, said, you know what? I'm sorry, I have to interrupt mm-hmm. you because for whatever reason, Manson's family has been echoing in my head. Mm-hmm. Like, and I'm like, why do you keep saying that? And I know like something is trying to connect that it's not. And then they said, oh, you can't. I'm sorry, you can't meet Charlie. He's out of town. I'm like, oh. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. Okay, Charles Manson is. But they called him Charlie. Charlie. Yes. That's probably why I didn't connect it. You know what's funny? Like this film kind of really tried to throw uh throw the idea that Charles Manson is gonna have a huge part in this movie. No lie, he's in the movie for like thirty fucking seconds. Yeah. It's so weird. They show him smiling, waving at Cliff Booth at one point. Go to the Taint House tries to talk to somebody he's at the in history he tries to meet um a producer of the beach boys and one of the beach boys i can't remember his name and like doesn't get his way he doesn't meet him and then goes away that's it you never see him again i'm really actually disappointed about that because i was wondering throughout the whole movie mm-hmm. when the fuck is jim carrey gonna show up again it, that guy looked like jim carrey oh my god <laughs> well you know if you're wondering if you're gonna see him again the same actor who they got to play Charles Manson, uh, he's going to be in Mindhunter season two. Oh, good. Playing as Charles Manson. <laughs> Not even joking. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, there's this, big, there's this big bloodbath. One of the girls ends up in the, in the I'm not saying the tub, in the pool, and DiCaprio fries his ass. Or hers at, her ass. Yeah. And then it, it seemed like it all got to this whole thing of like, this is how they meet Sharon Tate. Two hours and 41 minutes. This is how they meet Sharon Tate. And that's it. Like, that's so, it so it's like a friendship with a failing career mm-hmm. plus Sharon Tate smiling like an idiot. 
and no substance. So, like, there's nothing to push the plot forward. There's no yeah. nothing. It's just going on. And you're just like, why? Like, it's like you're listening to someone have a conversation with themselves because you don't know there you have no point of reference to know what they're talking about or who they're talking to mm-hmm. or what's the point of what they're saying yeah and that's the end of the movie i mean like i said we both thought it looked great it, like how it was shot it looked pretty it really captured hollywood of that era soundtrack was good some of the performances was all right well julia butters great performance in the carpool great performance everything else is just like meh but you know, at the end, we're just you know, her and I were just kind of Kelsey and I were just looking and be like, why? What's go? Like, why am I watching this? We we I know I I know I started thinking like, why the fuck am I watching this now? Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's it's getting a hot, it's getting praise all over the all over the place. I've actually seen a couple of reviews saying like it's a regression of Tarantino's uh, directing capabilities. Um, you might want to mention why you think that is. Well. Let me, I'll just come straight out with this. I am not. I am not a fan of Tarantino's work. Um, I used to be younger when I was a lot younger when I was like my teen years and early twenties. But I really started seeing the cracks in his in his filmmaking by when Kill Bill came out. So ever since then, I've kind of just been like, I'm not liking this. I'm not liking this. Granted, I like Django Unchained. I actually rewatched it today, and in Glorious Bastards, I'm it's all right. Heart the Hateful Eight is pretty to look at again but other than that i don't like death proof i have some serious problems with kill bill volume one and two um kelsey summed up my hatred for this guy by saying he tries to remake a film in a underhand kind of way it's i understand if you're inspired to make films by past work and you do your own thing you, you do your own thing but it gets really annoying when you're essentially just making a film calling it yourself and you're just like dude you're clearly you're ripping off this 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 and this like to be like be up front be up front yeah. about it and the regression was because someone who was working with him who essentially made his films coherent yeah um her name is escaping me right now but she i believe she was the editor she was either an editor or a producer of about all of quinturn Zeno's film up until Django and chain when Actually, before Django Unchained, she died. And you can just see this regression of his filmmaking because he is, his, his, uh, his tendency to do flashbacks are out of place. He tries to do like these cl- clever edits, which are really out of place. And sometimes these scenes he'll have set up, they'll go on for way too long. Like, dude, you can trim the fat off like three of these scenes right now. Like, I almost guarantee you that if she was alive and working on his stuff, that that weird edit we saw there was like a weird edit where he was on like an old cowboy set an Mm. old western set and it was like flickering yeah and it's like a nod to easy rider yeah because they do like this weird thing where instead of just transitioning to the next scene Mm. they'll flicker back and forth between the current scene and the next one and then move on with that next scene and this one it was just like and it didn't quite do that it did like a like it was like if you blinked at the wrong time or something, you're like, wait, like, did it skip? Like, if it was a CD, like, did it skip? Mm-hmm. And then it was like... Okay, this this is this is who she is. Um, her name is Sally uh, Minkey. She was his editor. 
She was his editor off of Jackie Brown, Kill Bill Volume 1 2, Death Proof, Inglorious Bastards, Reservoir Dogs. She was there. But you, you can see once he starts doing um, Django Unchained and he does Inglorious Bastards, uh, uh, not Glorious Bastards, I'm sorry, Django Unchained, Hateful Eight, and now this film, his editing gets really fucking out of the, out of all crazy. I've heard a story that the editor from Django Unchained, I can't remember his name, he did that. He did that movie, and he was just like, "I will never work with Tarantino again." Yeah. So, so it's like he's he's kind of going all over the place now, and he needs to have he needs to refine his fucking directing again. He needs to refocus. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So, if you want something pretty to look at, you're gonna want to watch Once Upon a Time. Um, if you want something with styles, I mean, if you want something with substance, you're, uh, yeah. You're not going to find it here. No. Okay. Okay. So, uh, what we're going to do now is we're actually going to jump into our geriatric cinematic review. This is the 1969 Easy Rider. This year, the judges of the Cannes Film Festival presented the award Best Film by a New Director to Easy Rider. It's the story of a man who went looking for America and couldn't find it anywhere. Easy Rider stars Peter Fonda. You do your own thing in your own time. You should be proud. Also starring Dennis Hopper, the award-winning director of Easy Rider. Co-starring Jack Nicholson. What you represent to them is freedom. What the hell's wrong with freedom, man? That's what it's all about. All right, so that was Easy Rider, the film directed by uh, Dennis Hopper, uh, 1969, starring... um, (laughs) Written by Peter Fonda, Dennis Hopper, and Terry Southern. Uh, synopsis uh, through the open country and desert lands two bikers head from LA to New Orleans and along the way meet a man who bridges a counterculture gap they are aware they are aware unaware of so the film stars Peter Fonda Dennis Hopper Jack Nicholson um a quick little mention I said written by Peter Fonda Dennis Hopper and Terry Southern we'll get into some debate about that later (laughs) but um Kelsey had mentioned earlier uh, why we picked this film. Uh, Quentin Tarantino came on the list, 10 films to watch. We checked out the list because we were kind of thinking, I was kind of thinking maybe we'll do a Quentin Tarantino film to compare it to it. But since th- this is his ninth film, he's going to be finishing up his directing career with a 10th film. Figure we'll kind of hold off on that. So we looked at the list. We saw Easy Rider. Easy Rider is considered a classic. It, it, is considered to have changed the way films were made when it was made at the time. Yeah, and we, neither one of us had seen it. This is a film I've never watched. This is our first one, folks. This is a film I've never watched. I've seen little bits of it, and I've heard about it, and I understand the cultural significance of it. So we went into it kind of fresh. So I'm going to start off and say this movie was kind of boring a little bit. But and that's and that's hard to hear because Mark finds everything fucking interesting. Yeah, it was kind of boring for a bit. I did start finding it interesting as the story was going along. 
Um, but I can definitely see why people love this film. I can see the cultural relevance. Re- what's it called? Relevance? Re- Re- relevance. Relevance. Thank you. The cultural relevance of this film. Uh, Kelsey, what did you think about Easy Rider? I thought Easy Rider was another film that was meant to be pretty but lacking substance. <laughs> okay. I think that they were very um, forceful with their message mm-hmm. because it, like any idiot would be able to pick it up because it's like, this is our message, you know, mm-hmm. like, um, like shout it from the rooftops and shit. But yeah. um, the other thing was, uh, I think the best part of it was seeing Jack Nicholson when he was younger. Yes. Jack Nicholson shows up. Uh, if I remember correctly, Jack Nicholson shows up maybe like 40 minutes into the movie. Yeah. Um, and in my opinion, that's where the film was really, really picked up. It's when it picked up because, yeah, you had the camaraderie between the first two characters. Mm-hmm. Then this third one came in and he was kind of odd. Yeah. Because, you know, it's Jack Nicholson. He's always fucking odd. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, you're looking at me like you're expecting me to, to drop the bomb on them. No, no. You drop that bomb whenever you want to. <laughs> you go right ahead. <laughs> I will still feel the same way. You go ahead and drop that bomb whenever you want to. Okay. I told Mark this. Hold on, folks. Hold on, folks. (laughs) I told Mark this Mm -hmm. the night before last when we had seen Easy Rider. Mm -hmm. He was in the middle of drinking something. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Was it juice or water or something? Yeah, I was drinking something. And uh, I gave him this revelation. He choked on his water and he was like, what? What was that revelation? (laughs) I don't think I like Jack Nicholson. (laughs) I I get it. Not everybody likes him, but like I was taken aback by this. I was just like, "Whoa!" Like what? What? Because I've n- I've never heard this. I've actually never heard this from anybody. <laughs> Somebody can always like look at, at a Jack Nicholson performance and be like, "Yeah, I see why people like that guy." Fuck yeah! You're just like, I don't think I like that guy. I don't like his performance. I was just like, "Whoa!" Well, okay. Hold on. Because the movie was so boring, I think, and mm-hmm. then he shows up with his weirdness. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't really match. I think it matched. I think it matched great with the film. I don't think so. And okay. I just think he's crazy in everything he does. And you know, mm. so they're like, "Oh, we need a crazy guy." But he wasn't super crazy. He was just kind of odd. Mm-hmm. And like, I mean, he made a funny joke about frogs and whatnot. But okay, that was like he was just weird. I honestly don't remember that joke. <laughs> Oh, they said, uh, what did he say? Something about, um, Mm. you know what my, no, you know what, um, my dad said when I told him that I think I can talk to frogs. What was the, what was it? Do you remember what was the punchline? No, No, he was like, what did he say? I think he actually said, um, you know, like, you know that there was a time where, I thought I could talk to frogs or some shit like that. And the punchline was like, well, I don't know. Cause actually I can't talk to frogs or some shit. Like that. <laughs> okay. I don't know. It was weird. It was funny when he said it, but like he just, I don't know. He just didn't fit. Like mm-hmm. their friendship was great. Their chemistry was great. Who, uh, but he Dennis, was Dennis Hopper and Peter Fonda. 
and Jack Nicholson all together. Okay. Their friendship collectively was great. Jack Nicholson on his own was weird. Like, that character was weird because he was a lawyer. Yeah. But like... He was like an alcoholic lawyer. But he also didn't know certain things that other people in the film knew. Okay. You know, like, I don't... No. Oh, no. okay. He was an alcoholic, but he didn't know anything about marijuana, even oh, in 1969. Yeah. Like, so he's like, what is this? Well, I don't know. I don't think I should add to my vices. Well, maybe oh, I'll try okay. it after all. You mm. know, like, and it was just like this weird buildup that it was just weird. I think, the, I think, I think as that speaks to what the film was, it was supposed to be like this weird journey between, um, Peter Fonda and Dennis Hopper. Peter Fonda, whose character's name in the film is called Captain America, and Dennis Hopper's character, whose name, uh, Billy. Um, I think that kind of speaks to the volumes of like, the weirdness of their journey and the people that they had come across and are interacted with. For example, like um, there's a scene at the near the beginning of the movie where they go to a hippie commune, and they meet these people who are trying to make a living off the land. Oh, actually, you know what? Now I think about it. It's actually, I think this part's really good because they bump into like this rancher who lives off the land with his family and it looks successful. Um, Peter Fonda's like, he says, like, you got a nice place here, man. Like, I really dig it. I like how you live off the land. And then we, we bump into another set of people who are living off the land and it's like the exact opposite. Like, mm-hmm. they can barely get their food together. They can barely, like, come together and work for, like, a single purpose. Um, there's a scene that where a bunch of hippies are trying to, like, plant seeds. Dennis Hopper, like, touches the ground. He's like, it's sand. Like, they're never going to grow anything. Yeah. And it shows, like, what they thought would be paradise is really, like, slowly becoming a nightmare. Yeah. Because they just not surviving at all. And I thought that was kind of interesting because it showed, like, the deterioration of the hippie era of like the peace and love era um, that it seems like Peter Fonda and Peter and Dennis Hopper were trying to find. Yeah. Well, even throughout the film, they have um, like little situations where Mm. they kind of get into some, some hairy things where people are like, Oh, you're a fucking hippie. I'm going to kill you. Yeah. And it can't, it continuously just gets worse and worse. Yeah. So it's until, until what? Until what happens? What the end? Or are you talking? Yeah. About, oh no no, let's not jump there yet. I want to talk about Jack. What happened to Jack Nicholson's character? Um. So they have like there's a couple there's this part where like they come across this town. Uh, Peter Fonda, Jack Nicholson, and Dennis Hopper. They come across this town, and if like the town of like rednecks are like, well, those guys are hippies. Well, they're like talking shit. They're like talking shit to them behind their backs. But they are also not being too subtle about it because they want them to hear them. Yeah. And they leave. And like when they leave, they go and like kind of chill. I think they go chill out for a little bit. Like in the woods. It's they have to sleep in the woods because nobody wants to run a room out to them. Yeah, exactly. Because they're hippies. Yeah. And they're like smoking a joint. They're talking. And like Jack Nicholson's talking about like UFOs and stuff like that. And they're just kind of going on about life. And then they go to sleep and they get fucking jumped. And Jack Nicholson, like, dies. He gets beaten to death. And that that's just, like, it just shows the progression of, like, the reality of what they were trying to find. And it's just, like, no, this reality is fucking horrible, dude. You're not going to get what you want like, yeah. out of this. Which is really fucked up. 
And then they end up in uh, in New Orleans where they meet a couple of, of hookers or call. I don't know what they called them back then. Call girls? Ladies? Ladies of the night. <laughs> they end up in a brothel and then they end up in a cemetery and they drop acid. Yeah. And it just gets worse from there. Like they're seeing death. Peter Ponda's like losing it and shit like that Uh, this that particular scene for me was interesting in the same way Mm -hmm. that i find really interesting like when we go to the museum Mm. and they have that area with the black curtains to block out the light oh yeah yeah, they always have like these films that Mm -hmm. are like they piece them together and it's like oh this is one about like nude people and this one's like just you know cool imagery or whatever yeah that was the same kind of interest for me. It wasn't to me at that point. It wasn't a film. It was just like an art piece, like an art exhibit. Yeah, I can totally see that. I think that was maybe that was probably like Hopper's intention to make it look like an art piece. Um, because yeah, it came off like really intense. Well, I think he wanted it to be intense because their trip was intense. Yeah, I mean, who the fuck does ass in a fucking cemetery, man? Even, <laughs> even I didn't do that during my young, my youth. It was Mardi Gras, you know. Yeah, let me do acid at Mardi Gras, not in a fucking in a fucking cemetery. Well, it was the same. They were they were at Mardi Gras. Yeah. Well, yeah. Even their Mardi Gras trip wasn't even that good. Like they were drunk, stumbling around. People were just like staring at them and shit. Yeah. So it wasn't the part that they 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 thought. So then comes the ending, <laughs> where like the writing. Well, Peter Fonda has told Dennis Hopper like, like we we blew it, we fucked up. He doesn't go over in the, in the detail, but you got an idea of, like, they're coming to an end of their journey, and it's not what they wanted. And they're riding their bikes down, like, uh, like a two, like what a one-way lane, two-way lane or some shit. Mm. A redneck pulls up next to him. He's like, yeah, fucking hit me. Pulls out a shotgun and shoots Dennis Hopper. Like, just boom. And you're, we're, I remember... I don't know if I said it then or after, but I was like, holy shit. Yeah. And then, like, the truck goes off. Peter Fonda comes back, and he's like, I'm going to go get help, man. I'm going to go get help. Takes off. Truck turns around. Shoots Peter Fonda with a shotgun. Boom. And then the fucking motorcycle explodes. That has America's flag on it and shit, which is like America in fire. Roll credits. And and roll credits. And I remember you and I were like, what? (laughs) Yeah, like, what the fuck was that? (laughs) Like, what did we just see? Okay, now, as we were alluding to earlier, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood had this kind of extreme ending that we felt didn't deserve. It wasn't deserved. Easy Rider, on the other hand, after the credits roll and we thought about it, I think the I think that ending deserved it. I think that was a great ending for what they were trying to say. I thought it was. I just maybe it's because it's an older film and. They still were figuring out their techniques or something or their storytelling. Mm-hmm. It was just the entire film. You're like, you know, uh, discrimination, racism, sexism everywhere. Yeah. Like the whole thing was like everyone hates hippies. And that's the whole film. Like, OK, no one wants to watch a movie where mm. everyone just hates hippies, but nothing's really happening. I get what you're saying. I think it was saying that, and it was trying to say maybe, like, the death of the American dream. Like, what the hippies fought for were, like, peace and love is, like, non-existent. 
especially at that time because it's during 69 yeah. it's like when the 70s came around where cocaine was a huge thing um the shit going down in miami was about to blow up about like all these co- these drug uh, cartels fighting um there was like the aids epidemic no the aids epidemic came in the 80s but it was becoming this it was starting to build up in the 70s um it was a lot of change in the during that time i think 16 i think the war was happening too yeah the vietnam war and everything with it yeah absolutely so i'm i'm okay with honestly any movie that ends with like it's not a happy ending Mm -hmm. i'm more on board with that because that's more real to me yeah but i just don't like how in your face everything was Mm-hmm. and uh yeah and this this one was kind of in your face but i seemed like it was i felt like it was doing it in a more artistic merit um especially since i don't know of the time it seemed very artistic it seems like still kind of artistic now like i said earlier it was kind of boring but then i felt like it got better as the story progressed because we i i started having a better understanding of what the fuck they're trying to say. Yeah. As opposed to just like two guys riding a bike and listen to like, and here's like a great soundtrack. Yeah. So. Um, one other thing. Yes. Peter Fonda. <laughs> <laughs> you already know where I'm going. Go on, say it. <laughs> <laughs> we all love SpongeBob. Oh my God. Right? Sure. Yes or no? Sure. Okay. And we all hate Squidward, or we love him because he's kind of an asshole. And but he's a realistic representation of adulthood. Yeah. Mm. So you know that one episode in SpongeBob where Squidward like gets his face bashed in or something, and he <laughs> yeah. becomes like, like the sex- sexy Squidward. <laughs> yeah, sexy Squidward. Yeah. <laughs> he looks. Peter Fonda reminds me of sexy Squidward because <laughs> of the fucking pouty lips and that little fatty chin thing yeah, going maybe on. He was, maybe sexy Squidward was based off of Peter Fonda. Maybe it was. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, I really want to talk about like the stories behind this film. Um, one story was the fact that Dennis Hopper and Peter Fonda didn't really have a script put together and they didn't really hire a crew. Um, what they did instead was have hippies and commies across the country use friends and passerbys to hold the cameras. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, there's a scene where Dennis Hopper, Dennis Hopper, Peter Fonda, and Jack Nicholson are around a campfire smoking a joint. And that's real weed. They're actually smoking weed on this, on that scene. And Jack Nicholson has gone on record and said that they've smoked a total of like 150 joints. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> for that scene, I guess, for all the takes. Um, there was a bit of a bit of a problem between Peter Fonda and Dennis Hopper. They were known to get into like huge fucking fights on on the set, like shouting matches. Because Dennis Hopper, this was his first film, and so he had said that he was smoking weed while making the film for like artistic merit. But it all it did was make him more paranoid. Oh, and that he was like screaming and shouting at the crew. And they would call up, uh, I forgot, I think it's a Warner Brothers film. They would call up Warner Brothers and be like, hey, I quit. And here's the reason why. And have a recording of Dennis Hopper like losing his fucking mind. Wow. Um, Dennis Hopper at one point, uh, where is it? It's so fucking funny. Okay, here, there's a, I think it's funny. 
Uh, after previous screening, oh, it was Columbia. There you go. After previous screening, Columbia's chief executive, Leo Jaff, stood up hailing, I don't know what the fuck this picture means, but I know we're going to make a fuck of a lot of money. Oh, wow. So even he knew that he was just like, we're going we're gonna to do this. This is weird. Everyone's going to love it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's considered one of the 15 films that changed America's cinema. Um, so back to where I mentioned about who had written the script. I'm going to read you a couple stories. All right, first one. There are numerous stories as how the screenplay was written. Some say that Peter Fonda and Dennis Hopper merely wrote stories as to how the screenplay was written. Some say that Fonda and Hopper merely wrote a 12-page outline and just ad-libbed the rest of the film. You kind of got a sense of that yeah. in the movie. Um, Hopper says Terry Southern broke his hip, and he personally d- dictated the entire thing into a tape recorder. Fonda says that they all went to a basement in Southern Southern's home and they all smoked marijuana while they talked into a tape recorder. Southern says he wrote the entire screenplay himself. And when Fonda and Hopper saw the film, they loved it so much. They asked to be on the screenplay credits as a thank you. Hmm. So it's, it's still up in the air who actually wrote it. Cause we're getting all these weird different stories on who wrote the, who wrote easy writer. Um, they took the film, I think, to the Cannes Film Festival, and uh, Dennis Hopper won an award for it. It's a lot of people say it's considered a film. Like I, I read earlier, it's, film, it's one of the films that changed American cinema. Um, it's an interesting film. I really like how Dennis Hopper, the stories of Dennis Hopper, like losing his shit while making this film, which mm-hmm. adds to this myth or this lore of Dennis Hopper that I'm going to tell you guys that I've heard. Um, there is a, a myth that Dennis Hopper used to play this game that can be easily equated to Russian roulette. For those who don't know, Russian roulette is where you take a gun, a six, a six chamber gun, put one bullet, spin the chamber, clip it in, and then pull the trigger until the bullet like comes off or blows your brains out. He did something more intense than that. <laughs> There's he, something more intense than that? Yeah. So supposedly Dennis Hopper sat in a chair and had these bundles of dynamite circling him all lit. (laughs) And that when the fuse is going, when the fuse is lit, it sucks air. What happened was that all these fuses, they had to, they had to be lit at the same time because when they reached the end, the suction of the air would essentially blow them all out. And if they didn't, all go out at the same time, it would cause a huge explosion. Supposedly Dennis Hopper did that. That's that's a rumor. <laughs> but Jesus Christ. Yeah, but it leads into the intensity of Dennis Hopper and his character because he's always seen as this really intense guy. And An unstable. Yeah. Man, that is an American treasure right there. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh yeah, so um, after seeing it, after finally seeing Easy Rider, I get why it's popular. I actually kind of dug it, dig it now. The more I think about it, and I, I can understand the artistic merit from it. Probably wouldn't watch it again unless I really want to study film again. Um, other than that, yeah, I mean, I, I'm in time going. I'm just kind of digging it more and more. I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> you didn't dig it all. You're just like whatever. I would find out what point Jack Nicholson joins mm-hmm. and when he leaves, and watch only that segment <laughs> just to see his eyes. Gotcha. That's it. That's it. 
Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, I think that's about it for our show for the week. Um, as I said, at the top of the show, you want to find our social media uh, profiles. We got Facebook, got Twitter, Instagram. Contact us at uh, therealappeal at gmail.com. Uh, for next week, you want to see uh, Hobson Shaw? Yeah. Yes. All right. Yeah. <laughs> next week, we're going to review Hobson Shaw. Uh, I don't know what movie we're going to we're gonna review. What if we do that one with uh, Statham when he was like a time cop or some shit? The one? I don't know if that's what it's called. No. You know what? Maybe we should do Lethal Weapon. Oh, lethal Weapon? Yeah, with Mel Gibson and Danny Glover. Okay. We might do we might do Lethal Weapon. Did you ever see Lethal Weapon? I think I've seen I think I did watch it, but I don't remember it. All I remember is Mel Gibson with the bullet. Okay. So That's yeah, we it. so yeah, we might do Lethal Weapon for the Geriatric Cinematic. If not, we will surely give you guys a heads up. Like I said, you can follow us on Twitter at Appeal Real. That's real with two E's. Uh, Facebook page is uh, Real Appeal on Facebook. Instagram is The Real Appeal. And contact us at uh, therealappeal at gmail.com. Other than that, we're going to... We're going to go find some air conditioning. You're going to find some air conditioning. It's hot. It's hot. It's hot. And if you guys have been hearing me clicking, that's my daughter in the background playing her video games. And she stopped clicking. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, that's, uh, that's it for our show. And we will see you guys next week. We love you. I don't. Bye. Bye. <laughs>